Um, greetings in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We thank God once again for bringing us together to fellowship with each other in the singing and in the hearing of his word um, as we um, even continue with our series in Matthew chapter 5 on the Christ-like attitudes. Um, before we even begin, um, we had kids uh, who joined us last week uh, for the main service, and uh, we have this papers for uh, taking several notes for the kids. So if you want to take, uh, it's, it's, it's going to be helpful uh, because it, it, uh, it guides you on how to take um, sermons, uh, sermon notes. So I'd um, also say to the kids that uh, we have those papers in the back, so you could take one and um, follow through as we uh, read the Word of God. So Matthew chapter 5, we are going to look at verse 6 um, today. Matthew chapter 5, but I'll read verse 1 until verse... Uh, Verse 6. Matthew chapter 5. This is the word of God. Let us hear him. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And this is the word of God. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, our Lord and God, we thank you. Thank you, Father that you have drawn us to yourself by the grace that is found in Christ Jesus. You brought us to you, Lord, not because of anything that is in us, but because and entirely because of the merit of Christ. And we come to you, Lord, with humility, yet with confidence, knowing that you are the one who receives us to yourself. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for reconciling us to yourself by his blood. We pray, Lord, that you teach us even today, teach us your ways, and give us hearts that will hear you, hearts that will respond to your word. For the sake of your name and your kingdom, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. When you follow the journey of, of um, the Israelites, the children of Israel, especially looking at uh, uh, the book of Numbers, um, when you look at Numbers chapter 11, you see that their journey had different challenges, different uh, trials that they, they went through. They, they, they were marked by complaining and, and rebellion. We are told in, in, in Numbers chapter 11, verse 4 and verse 6, verse 4 to verse 6, it says, Now the rubble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. 
We remember the fish we, had, we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The, the cucumbers, the, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there's nothing, to, there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. You see, although the Lord had graciously provided for them the manna in the wilderness, they responded with an ungrateful spirit that communicated that what they craved for was better than what the Lord had provided. The words that they used, saying, there is nothing to look at except this, there's nothing at all except this manna to look at. These words communicate that they are not pleased with the provisions of the Lord, but want something more. In verse 18 to 20 of chapter 11 of, of, of Numbers, the Lord responds through Moses. He says, he says this, he says, Say to the people, consecrate yourself for tomorrow, and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, Who will give us meat to eat? For it was better for us in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. You shall not eat just one day, or, or two days, or, or five days, or, or ten days, or twenty days, but a whole month, until it comes out of your nostrils and, and becomes loathsome to you, because you have rejected the Lord who is among you, and have wept before him, saying, Why did we come out of Egypt? And in verse 31 and verse 32, the Lord gives them the meat that they craved for. He gives them what they wanted. But this should not be misunderstood, or, or this should not be understood as a blessing from God. Take note of verse 33 and uh, verse 34. It says, while the meat was yet between their teeth, before it was consumed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people. And the Lord struck down the people with a great plague. Therefore, the name of the place was called Kibroth Hatava because there they buried the people who had the craving. Their craving was met by the judgment of the Lord rather than the favor of God. Uh, this should be a warning to us as well. To desire anything above God is to invite the anger and the judgment of God. It is to invite the wrath of God if we desire anything above God. They had a strong craving for meat. Uh, this does not mean that eating meat is a sin, but we, we, we should notice that it shows that they desired meat more than they desired God. In their desiring of meat, they were rejecting the provisions of God himself. And my question to you this morning is, what is your greatest desire? What is your greatest desire? What drives you in life? What is that one thing that you want with all your heart? That one thing that, that, that you tell yourself that if you had it, you would be happy. And without it, you can't be happy. What is it? What is that desire that you want the most? And I'd like to draw your attention here to, to, to verse 6. Jesus here in this beatitude of Matthew chapter 5, uh, uh, Jesus here in this beatitude presents a strong craving that must mark every Christian. 
It's a strong craving that is contrary to that of Numbers 11. This is a craving that pleases God. That is met by the smile of God. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Listen to what John MacArthur says about this beatitude. He says this. This beatitude speaks of strong desire, of driving pursuit, of a passionate force inside the soul. It has to do with ambition, ambition of the right sort, whose object is to honor, obey, and glorify God by partaking of his righteousness. This holy ambition is in great contrast to the common ambitions of men to gratify their own lusts accomplish their own goals and satisfy their own egos close quote in other words it speaks of a sanctified hunger and thirst we noted as we when we began with this series that the first four christ-like beatitudes that we have looked at are chiefly concerned with our disposition towards god and the last are chiefly concerned with our disposition towards people. And this, there is a natural progression that must catch our attention as we look at these Beatitudes in detail. As we said, that it's a spiritual, logical sequence. It starts with the poor in spirit who see their bankruptcy who see their spiritual bankruptcy and inability before God. And they come to an awareness of their true condition, of their, their condition before God, and they mourn for their sin. They, they are those who are marked by mourning. And, and when they understand themselves in, in light of who God is, they respond to God in meekness. And when we come to, to see, when we are meek before God, we, 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 we get to see our lack and our need. And that our great need is righteousness. And so we hunger and thirst for it. As we look at this, this, this verse, verse 6, I want us to consider two things in this verse. I want us first to consider an all-consuming desire and a blessed sanctification. An all-consuming desire and a blessed sanctification. Let us look at the first, an all-consuming desire. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The words hunger and thirst are, are, are readily understood. They, they point to the fundamental human need for, for sustenance. It's, it's a universal human experience. There is no one here who does not know what hungering and thirsting is. But I feel that even as we look at and, and think about these words, it is easy to think lightly of the sense in which Jesus used these words. And this is because in our time, in our, in our context, when, when you are hungry or, or thirsty, you can easily access food or, or drink um, almost immediately. 
These words indicate uh, 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 in, in their context and in their time, um, in their historical context, they indicate a person who is in such an intense and desperate state that if they do not eat or, or drink anything, they will die. It's, it's intense, it's, it's desperate. And, and Jesus uses this to represent the depth of desire Christians must have for righteousness. It is an all-consuming desire. But I want us to also think, there, there is a hunger and a thirst that is immodest, that is perverse, that is, that is self-centered, that is sinful. At the heart of, of this desire that I'm talking about, at the heart of this hunger and thirst that I'm talking about, is a pursuit of happiness. Everybody wants to be happy, right? No one wa wants to, to live a life where they are not happy. Everyone wants to be happy. But the problem is, most of the time, people pursue happiness in the wrong things. The idea in the mind is that if I attain this desire, then I will be happy. This desire is mostly manifested in different ways. We see it when people pursue happiness in sex, in fame, or, or, or wealth. And the general assumption in this is that one will be truly satisfied if they reach a certain level of sexual gratification of fame or, or wealth or, 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 or any of these things, only to discover that that same emptiness that they were trying to feel is becoming even deeper and deeper. If I was to diagnose this condition, I'd refer to it as destination addiction. It's a preoccupation with the idea that happiness is in the next place. It's in the next job. It's in the next, next partner. You, 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 you are chasing happiness, but it seems to be running away from you. Because you're saying, okay, if I make a million rands, then I will be happy. Then you make a million rands, then you, you, you discover that that happiness is not there, and you think maybe it's true. You know what they said about John Rockefeller? John Rockefeller was... Um, one of the, the, the most wealthiest men in the world. They say that when he was on his deathbed, that um, they couldn't do anything for him and, 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 and came to him and said to him, what can we do? They, they asked him, what can we do? And he said to them, just one more dollar. Just one more dollar. A billionaire. So, all their life is dedicated to pursue these things, but it is useless. It is more like drinking seawater. The more you drink, you're expecting it to quench your thirst, but the more you drink, the thirstier you become until you eventually die of dehydration. It doesn't matter how many liters you drink. You become more thirsty and thirsty with every drink. 
It is a misplaced desire. A desire directed on the wrong source, on the wrong things. And Jesus here presents where true happiness is found. It is not found in chasing after these things. But he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. True blessedness is found in the pursuit of righteousness. It's found in us pursuing this righteousness. And the aim for hungering and thirsting for righteousness, I want to present to you that it is twofold. It is, it is twofold. First, it is a hunger and thirst for righteousness in the area of salvation. Then, in the area of sanctification. First, let us look at salvation. This is brought about as a, a result of the conviction that one experiences when they hear the gospel. The light of the gospel shines on the dark heart and exposes the sin and corruption of the heart. It shows you how hopeless you are without God. The, the, the truth of Romans chapter 3 verse 9 to 11 suddenly dawns on you that all, both Jews and, Gentile, both Jews and Gentiles, are under sin. It says again that there is none righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. This truth dawns on you. And you begin to see that you are a sinner who falls short of the glory of God. That you cannot do anything to save yourself. That even all your righteous deeds are as filthy rags. And by the help of the Holy Spirit, you begin to see that the only righteousness that is perfectly pleasing to God is the righteousness of Christ. That is the righteousness that is perfectly pleasing to God. As we look at Romans chapter 3, verse 21 and 22, it says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. The righteousness that is pleasing to God is the righteousness that is in Jesus Christ. And to obtain this righteousness is by believing in God through faith in Jesus Christ. As this truth comes alive, you cry out to God for this righteousness. You, you, you start to be mocked by this hunger and this thirst for this righteousness. You are aware of your lack and you are aware of your need for it. And you cry out to God. When I was young, when I was, uh, I think about, uh, like, let, let us say young. Um, probably in my, uh, when I was five to, to, to ten, my mom used to love to listen to, to Dr. Shelley Caesar. Um, to, to her music. There was one particular song that I do not forget, as it, 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 it mostly rings in my mind a lot of times when I think about it. It's a, it's a very simple song with a very simple message. In the beginning of the song, Dr. Shelley Caesar tells the story of a boy who was in church and he was paying attention to the preaching of God's word. He was paying attention to the preacher, and 
as the, the preacher was preaching, after, after the sermon, he went up to the preacher and said to him, Pastor, your sermon really touched my soul. And he went home with his mom. As he went home, he was thinking still about the sermon. When they arrived home, he looked at his mom and said, Mom, I am hungry. And the mother proceeded to make him a, a, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And he says to his mom, Mom, you don't understand. I am hungry. I don't want no peanut butter and jelly, but I want my soul to be saved. His hunger was a hunger that was more than a hunger for food. It was a hunger for salvation. It was a hunger to be saved. He says, I don't want no peanut butter and jelly. I want my soul to be saved. He hungered for righteousness. The righteousness that he did not have. A righteousness that is in Christ alone. As Paul tells us that God made Christ who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we may be the righteousness of God in Christ. And so it is this righteousness that is imputed on us by faith. It is counted on our behalf where God sees us as righteous because of our faith in Christ. It is not only in the area of, 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 of salvation, but also in the area of sanctification. This hungering and thirsting for righteousness is also displayed in the area of sanctification. You see, the disposition of those who have been saved, those who have been born again, is a hunger for God. We, we, we must be marked by a hunger for God if we are truly saved. Just as the first thing a, a newborn baby desires is milk from her mother, so the Christian hungers and thirsts for righteousness. It, it is a vital sign of spiritual life in the life of a Christian to hunger and to thirst for, 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 for righteousness. And this echoes what to Peter meant when he said in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, when he says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. See, this is an important mark of a Christian. Listen to what Martin Lloyd-Jones says as he comments on this verse. He says, I do not know of a better test that anyone can apply to himself or herself in this particular matter of the Christian profession than a verse like this. If this verse is to you one of the most blessed statements in the whole of scripture, you can be quite certain that you are a Christian. If it is not, then you had better examine the foundations again. Are you marked by this hunger and thirst? Is it your desire to grow in your knowledge of God? To, to grow in holiness and, and righteousness? To, to live a life that, that honors and glorifies God? Is that what drives you? Is that your aim in life? If not, then allow me to say with Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones 
then you had better examine the foundations again. You better look at your life again. So to hunger and thirst for righteousness is a sign of spiritual life. But not only that, to hunger and thirst for righteousness is a sign of hell, of, of spiritual health. It's a sign of spiritual health. One of the most important questions a, a doctor can ask a patient in the course of examination is, is um, how is your appetite? How is your appetite? Because lack of appetite is a cause for concern and may be a symptom of a serious disorder. The same principle also applies in spiritual terms. When a professing Christian has little or, 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 or no appetite for the things of God, something is seriously wrong. Even if outwardly everything seems perfectly in order. These words of the, of the Scottish preacher Thomas Guthrie remain as, a chal as challenging today as when they were first written in the last century. He says this, he says, If you find yourself loving any pleasure better than your prayers, any book better than the Bible, any house better than the house of God, any table better than the lost table, any person better than Christ, any indulgence better than the hope of heaven, take alarm. That should be a serious uh, a warning. That should be a serious indication that there is something wrong if you do find yourself loving any pleasure rather than loving prayers or any book rather than the Bible. It should be an indication that there is something wrong. There's a, there's a sickness in the heart. See, one of the signs of sickness in the Christian church today is the widespread lack of hunger and thirst after God. <coughs> this is seen mostly in, in a lack of prayer among Christians. Prayer meetings are not as popular anymore. You, you would be fortunate to, to find more than five people gathering together for the sake of seeking the face of God. It is also seen in lack of personal Bible reading. The only time you pick up the Bible is on Sunday morning when you dust it, when you remove dust from it. That's the only time you pick up your Bible. This, this, this lack of hunger and thirst for righteousness is an indication that you are already filled with something. There are other things that are filling your appetite. Instead of spending time on your knees, you'd rather spend it on the internet or watching television. Or instead of uh, uh, finding it more fulfilling reading your, 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 your Bible, you, you find it more fulfilling reading a fashion magazine. And this is an indication that there is something else that is filling your heart, something else that is taking the place of that hunger and thirst. But Jesus Christ says, true blessedness is in hungering and thirsting for righteousness. 
And he shows us why it is truly blessed. He says, these people who, are, who, who thirst, who, who hunger and thirst after righteousness, they shall be satisfied. And this leads us to our second point. An all-consuming desire is met by a blessed sanctification, satisfaction, a blessed satisfaction. Point number two, a blessed satisfaction. See, this desire that God, this desire for righteousness, and, and, and it, 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 it's, a, it's a desire that God delights in satisfying. God readily meets this hungering and thirsting because he's the one who creates it in the, in the soul of the believer. God has prepared a table for those who hunger and thirst, and he calls them to come feast and drink at the blessed table. He is the one who has prepared this table. No one but God can satisfy this hunger. And only in Christ is this hunger and thirst fully satisfied. Listen to the words of Thomas Watson here, that great uh, Puritan. He says this, Hunger is satisfied with nothing but food. Bring a hungry man flowers, music, tell him pleasant stories. Nothing will be content for him but food. So a man that hungers and thirsts after righteousness says, Give me Christ or I die. Lord, what will you give me seeing that I go Christ, Christless? What though I have parts, wealth, honor, and esteem in the world, all is nothing without Christ. Show me the Lord, and it will be enough for me. Let me have Christ to clothe me, Christ to feed me, Christ to intercede for me. Give me Christ, or I die. While the soul is Christless, it is restless. Nothing but the water springs of Christ's blood can quench its thirst. Only Christ is able to quench the thirst of the soul, the hunger of the soul. So God is the one who meets this spiritual hunger and thirst. He says they shall be satisfied. This is a, a, a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance because it is said by God who cannot lie who cannot break his promises, and he promises with assurance that these people who hunger and thirst, they, and only they, shall be satisfied. It's very emphatic when you look at it in the Greek. Because God is, is the one who satisfies us, then this satisfaction, as we think about it, 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 it is continuous. It's a, it's, it's a continuous satisfaction. It's a never-ending satisfaction. It never runs out. But uh, there is a paradox that must be noted here. This spiritual hungering and thirsting that Jesus speaks of increases in the act of being satisfied. The more we are satisfied, the more we hunger and thirst for righteousness. The more we are filled, the more we hunger and thirst. We, we, I mean, this is, 
Isn't this uh, true even with food? That you, you, when you approach the table that is, uh, 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 that is served with the, 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 the most delicious food that you can ever think of, when you eat, it's not like you are never going to eat again, right? You eat and you are filled, you are fine. But a few hours later, what do you want to do? You want to eat again. So, so this righteousness is continuous. We, we continue to hunger and thirst for righteousness before God. And the words of Bernard of Clavaux, it's a French word, I don't know how to, I, I don't know if I'm, I'm pronouncing it right, but Clavaux, uh, he sang of this uh, paradox. He says, we taste you, O living bread, and long to feast on you still. We, we drink of you, the fountainhead, and thirst our souls from you to fill. The more we, 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 we are satisfied, the more we want you. The satisfaction is not only continuous, but it's also eternal. It's, it's an eternal uh, satisfaction. Jesus, on many occasions, uses the image of a divine feast to illustrate the, the satisfactions of the kingdom. On one occasion, he told his disciples in Luke chapter 22, verse 29 and 30, he says to them, I assign to you as my, as my father has assigned to me a kingdom, and all these, uh, a, a kingdom that you may eat or drink at my table in my kingdom. You hear that? He assigns to them a kingdom that they may eat and drink at his table in his kingdom. So what do we need to do? We, we need to respond speedily to the words of Jesus Christ in, in Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 33, when he says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. God wants big appetites. He wants Christians that have big appetites for righteousness. Because he is able to fully, completely, wholly satisfy our appetites. See, the Lord delights in the pursuit, in our pursuit for righteousness. When you look at Proverbs chapter 15 verse 9, it says, The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. But he who loves, but he loves him who pursues righteousness. The Lord loves him who pursues righteousness. It is seeing that we are empty by ourselves and that there is nothing more satisfying than knowing God and that he is the one, when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, who fills us. It is in, in seeing it this way that we begin to hunger and thirst for righteousness. No one asks a beggar for food, right? You don't ask a beggar for food. Because you know he doesn't have it. But when we go to God, we know that he's the one who's ready to satisfy our hunger and thirst. And may this be our daily pursuit. May this be our aim in life. May, may this be our desire. Amen. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word. 
He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Indeed, Lord, you are the one who's enough for us. You are the one who's able to meet our spiritual needs. God, we know. We know, Father, that you are, you are enough. All your resources are enough. May we run to you, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, knowing that you will meet our desires. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.